chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. Romans 12, 3 through 5. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. A gentleman was exiting the auditorium one Sunday morning after worship service, and he came upon the, the preacher who was standing in a lobby, uh, greeting people as they exited. And the preacher grabbed him by the hand and said to him, Brother, you need to join the army of the Lord. And the man replied, well, I'm already in the army of the Lord, preacher. And the preacher asked him this. He said, well, then how come I don't see you except at Christmas and Easter? And the man leaned in and whispered in the preacher's ear and said, because I'm in the secret service. <laughs> you know, the truth is that that's how many of us practice our Christianity. We practice it as if we're in the secret service and we make appearances at random. This morning, as we bring our study of the one another commands to a close, I want us to focus in on one statement that is paramount to all of them. Now, I'm, I'm closing out this series not because we've exhausted it, there are plenty of other one another commands we could spend time on. We could uh, go study uh, the command to be in harmony with one another. We could study the command to pray for one another. We could study the command to show hospitality to one another. The list goes on and on. But it's not my goal to be exhaustive with our study of the one another commands. It's the goal to be transformative. The goal is for us to have examined these commands and to have it change the way we view what it means to be a member of the Lord's body. And that brings us to today's one another command, the one that you saw there at the end of Romans chapter 12, particularly in verse 5. And that's the command that we are to be members of one another. And what I want to do today as, we, as I said, as we draw this study to a close, is I want us to really consider what it means to be a member of one another. And to address that, to, to answer the question of what does it mean to be a member of one another, we have to first decide, is the church an organization or an organism? Why? Why do we have to deal with that? Why do we have to consider such a distinction? It's because whether the church is an organization or an organism will determine our understanding of membership. Let me explain what I mean. All of us have some familiarity, at the very least, with organizational structure. We understand what an organization is, whether or not we're a part of one at the moment. Because all of us have had familiarity with a booster club or PTA or a, a country club or something like that. 
Now, here's the thing about an organization. In order to be a member of an organization, there are basically three responsibilities that you have to ensure that you do. There are, there are three primary responsibilities associated with any organization. The first is that you have to attend, at least occasionally, the meetings of the organization. The second is that you have to keep the organization's rules. You have to follow the parameters set forth by the organization. And the third is you have to pay the organization's dues. In 2018, I was a member in good standing with the organization known as Planet Fitness. I never missed a payment. $10 a month went out of my bank account to Planet Fitness. I followed all the rules those few times I entered their facilities. In fact, I counted it up. I entered their facility approximately one-tenth of the days I paid for. I was a member in good standing, but you know what? There's not a person at Planet Fitness who knew my name. There's not a person at Planet Fitness who would have known that I was a member there, except for that card I had to present when I entered. I was a member in good standing with Planet Fitness. But was I a member of those people? I'm currently a member in good standing with my homeowners association. I pay my dues every month. I follow the rules to the best of my ability in keeping my house looking appropriate. But you know what? I've lived in that community for two years now, and I have yet to attend an HOA meeting. I've filled out my proxy card when necessary, but I've never attended a meeting. But I'm a member in good standing with my HOA. Do you see where we're going with this? You can be a member of an organization and no one know who you are. You can be a member of an organization and be a member in good standing with that organization and not know anybody else within that organization. You can have zero connections, zero relationships, zero responsibility and be a member in good standing with an organization. And that's unfortunately how a lot of us approach church. As long as I show up occasionally on a Sunday, as long as I occasionally send in that check, and as long as I don't do anything abhorrent, then count me in as a member in good standing with that church. That's how we all too often think the church operates. Like an HOA. Or like a gym membership. But when you hit the New Testament and you study membership in the New Testament, does it present church like an organization that you become a member of? Absolutely not. Journey through the New Testament and what you'll see is several metaphors used in reference to God's people. Jesus compared the church to sheep in John chapter 10 verses 1 through 10. Jesus compared the church to a vine in John chapter 15 and verse 5 in particular. And then John would compare the church to a bride in Revelation chapter 19. Now what does sheep, a vine, 
and a bride all have in common. Think about it for a moment. What does a bride, a vine, and a sheep have in common? They're all alive. They're all living organisms. They all have life about them. That's what makes them unique. They're all animate. And that is why the church must be viewed as an organism rather than an organization. Now think about an organism for a moment. Whether you're comparing a sheep, a vine, a bride, it doesn't matter. Think about an organism for just a moment. An organism doesn't measure membership like an organization. An organism is concerned, is not, excuse me, is not concerned about meetings, rules, and dues. An organism is concerned about relationship. An organism is concerned about involvement. An organism is concerned about whether or not everything is still connected. Think about it. If your arm fell off, do you think your, the rest of your body would be concerned about that? Do you think if your arm fell off, your body, which is an organism, would know it was missing? Do you think if your arm fell off, the rest of your body would feel like something wasn't there? Like it was incomplete? You see, an organism recognizes when something's not connected. An organism recognizes when something's not contributing correctly. An organism recognizes those things, not an organization. And so I think it's worth mentioning that throughout Scripture, the metaphors used for the church are all organism-related. And so what we can conclude is that membership according to the New Testament isn't something that you place as much as it is something you practice. Now, don't get me wrong. In today's age, placing your membership is necessary because an eldership needs to know which members of the flock are under their oversight. But here's the thing. You place your membership at a local congregation what you are doing is ultimately identifying where you intend to practice your faith. Because membership is more about the practice of your faith. And nowhere is this more clear than in Paul's rather lengthy illustration about the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn over there with me if you will. We're going to read several verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to focus on verses 12 through 27 and read this entire text. Because in it, guess what Paul does? He compares the church to an organism. He compares the church to a physical body. And he makes several points about membership here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body, the eye. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, present, our, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what I want to do this morning as we conclude this study of the Anothering Commands is examine, based on this passage, what biblical membership requires. And I believe we can boil it down to two main requirements. Here's the first one. Biblical membership requires connection. Biblical membership requires connection. Consider the implication of the things we just read in 1 Corinthians 12. When Paul said in verse 15, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, what he was indicating is that no member of the body can say that he or she is unimportant. And then if you look at verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul said, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, he was indicating that no member of the body can say that he or, or she is sufficient unto himself or herself. And the implication of such statements is that every member of the body matters because every member of the body is incomplete without the other members. That's a major difference between an organization and an organism. An organism has attachments. An organism has connections. An organism is intertwined. And what happens to one part of an organism affects all the other parts because they are members of one another. So here's the big takeaway from this understanding of membership. In order for us to be members of one another, we cannot practice our faith in isolation. Isolation is a state of alienation. When something is isolated, it's separated from a larger unit. And spiritually speaking, isolation occurs when, individuals, <clears throat> when an individual Christian segregates himself or herself from the body of Christ. In other words, one is guilty of isolating himself or herself 
when he or she refuses to build intimate and accountable relationships with other Christians. And many of us attempt to be quarantine Christians. We think that as long as we show up to worship service and live a morally upright life, then we've fulfilled our responsibility as a disciple and we can go about our day feeling good about ourselves. And what many of us fail to realize is that although becoming a disciple is an individual decision, it's not intended to be an isolated journey. Implicit in these one another passages is the expectation of community. In other words, you can't fulfill the one another commands without interacting with other people. Therefore, the the, the one another commands teach us that following God requires us to build relationships, to be connected. And God has a very good reason for designing His church to require connectivity. And that reason is protection. Think about it. When we are alone, that is when we are the most susceptible to Satan's attacks. When, when did John the Baptist, when did he start to question Jesus' identity? It was when he was isolated in prison in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. When did Elijah grow discouraged in his ministry? It was when he was fleeing from Jezebel, and he thought that he was the only zealous follower of God left. 1 Kings chapter 19. When did David reach his lowest point? It was when Saul's threats against his lives had forced him to live in a cave, separated from his family, separated from his mentor, separated from his best friend. When did Jesus face a series of temptations from the devil? It was when he was all alone in the wilderness. See, whether we're talking about heroes of faith or we're talking about the Son of God, the most difficult days for them, spiritually speaking, were the days when they were disconnected from other people. And that got me to thinking. Right now, at the bottom of our lowest parking lot here, there's some stacks of bricks. There's about 180,000 bricks, if I counted correctly, and yes, I went out there one day last week and counted. And those bricks are going to be used to uh, finish construction on this elevator that is uh, being worked on right now. But I want you to imagine that there is some morally reprehensible individual out there who wants to steal some bricks to build their own house. And they happened upon our church building. And they pulled into the lower parking lot down here And they looked at our building, and they looked at the 180,000 bricks stacked up down there. Where do you think they would go to steal bricks? Do you think they would drive up to the building, walk up to the exterior wall, and start chiseling out bricks that are connected together with mortar? Or do you think they'd go down to the stacks of bricks? where the bricks are still technically loose and not connected to anything else. Where do you think they would go to snatch a brick? You see, 
if Satan is going to try and steal members away from the church, I, I don't think he's going to focus on those members who are intricately connected to others. I think his easiest place of attack are those who have the least connections. Maybe that's why when you get to 1 Peter, he's compared to a lion. Think about that for a moment. How does a lion hunt? How does a lion obtain prey? A lion chases a herd until he can separate one of those creatures from the herd. And then when he gets that creature by itself, that's when he attacks. When it's alone and when it's the most vulnerable. And, and here in Scripture, Satan is referred to as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So I believe a significant lesson for us to take away from that lion metaphor, even from my silly brick metaphor that I stole from another preacher, to be fair. The significant lesson is this. Isolation makes us vulnerable to Satan's attack. And so we need to be cognizant of the precarious situation that isolation from the body of believers puts us in. I think that's why the author of Hebrews instructs us to not neglect meeting together because there is, in fact, safety in numbers. The preacher of Ecclesiastes, he summarized this truth very well in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and the threefold cord is not quickly broken. See, that's why being members of one another is so important. It offers a level of spiritual protection that you just won't find in isolation. So let me ask you right now. Are you connected? Now, I'm not asking you, have, has this congregation helped you get connected? I'm asking you right now, are you connected? Have you personally made the decision and the effort to be connected to the body of believers have you pursued that on your own? Because while becoming a Christian is your own individual decision, you are expected to be part of a family that helps one another, and you have to be connected to be a part of that family. That's part of what it means to be members of one another. But there is one other thing that we need to notice, and it it does come from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Not just does biblical membership require connection, biblical membership also requires contribution. Look again at what Paul rhetorically asked in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 12. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? What Paul is getting at is that each part of the body fulfills a specific function that the other parts can't 
fulfill. Your eye can't do what your ear can do. And your ear can't do what your nose can do. And like fashion, I can't sing like these great song leaders we have here. Trust me, if you've sat close enough to me, you know that. Can't sing like our song leaders. Hopefully I can preach. And so I contribute that. Well, well, Chase and these other guys who lead singing, and they contribute that. Maybe you can't preach. But maybe you can volunteer your time to serve as part of our security team. Or maybe you can volunteer your time to, to uh, help with our children and, and take care of them in, in our nursery. Maybe, maybe you can cook a meal for somebody. Maybe you are great at visiting people. Maybe you can just stand in the hallway and check temperatures of kids as they walk in the building. Maybe you can offer transportation. You see, there's all different types of skills and abilities and talents and gifts that we have to offer. And not all of us possesses all of them. So we're expected to contribute what we can because we might just be contributing the one thing that nobody else can contribute. You see, here's the big takeaway from this understanding of membership, this understanding that membership requires contribution. It's this. In order for us to be members of one another, we cannot operate independently of one another. A body is not functioning at its peak when each individual member is doing its own thing. A body functions at its peak when all of its members are working in unison toward a common objective. Think about this. Whether you're swinging a golf club, sewing a dress, casting a fishing line, painting a picture, playing a musical instrument, or, or typing on a computer, you need your brain, your eyes, and your hands all to work in unison to complete the task. You also need your heart keep pumping, your lungs to keep inhaling and exhaling, your kidneys to keep filtering, your stomach to keep digesting. You need all these things happening in unison so that you can complete whatever it is you're doing. And while your hands, they might receive all the glory because of what they're capable of doing, they couldn't do that if your unpresentable parts, like your heart, your stomach, your kidneys, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. We need the, the people in the forefront and the people behind the scenes working in tandem for everything to function at its peak. And if a part of your body quits contributing then oftentimes that part has to be removed. In order for your body to remain healthy, if your gallbladder quits working properly, what do surgeons do? They remove it. If your leg gets injured and blood flow can't be restored to it, what do surgeons have to do? They may have to amputate it. Why? 
Because being a member of an organism means you either participate or else you have to evacuate. And over the past few months, I've really come to understand that. Leah has reminded me of this truth. Now, with the addition of Leah last year, uh, Sarah and I have gotten to experience the, uh, the joys of caring for a newborn all over again. It's been eight years since we did that, but we get to do it all over again. And one of those joys involves feeding your child. And one day, Ben, pay attention because you're going to need to know this joy. One day I have Leah in my lap, and it's time for her to eat. And I'm introducing her to the Similac family. And as the Similac family enters her body, they're met by some greeters that are called the gastric juices. And I imagine that they had a pleasant exchange at first that went something like this. Those gastric juices said, Hi, welcome to Leah's body. Who are you? They said, We're the Similacs. Well, we're the gastric juices, and we're glad that you've chosen to be a part of Leah's body. And those Similacs, they said, Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. We don't want to be a part of Leah's body. And the gastric juices said, Well, what do you mean? The Similac said, We're just here because the big man holding the bottle made us come down here. And the gastric juices said, well, I don't think you understand. The way this works is that after we welcome you into Leah's body, we then incorporate you into Leah's body, and you contribute your resources to its overall well-being. And the Similac said, but we don't want to be incorporated. We don't want to contribute anything. We just want to retain our independence. And the gastric juices said, well, if you're not willing to contribute to the body then you'll have to leave. And Leah, Leah's body disfellowshipped the Simulacs all over my pants. Because that's how bodies work. The body can't work right. People aren't willing to contribute. Now I have to admit, I've been indebted to another preacher for that analogy as well. But I couldn't resist using it because it's biblical. The Bible repeatedly teaches that each and every one of us is expected to contribute to the body for the kingdom of God. For example, Paul said that in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, which we read as part of our scripture reading, he said that the church is one body comprised of many members who do not all have the same function. Therefore, as members of one another, he says, we are to use the gifts that we have that have been given to us, for that matter. We're to use those for the benefit of one another. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul indicated that the whole body of Christ is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And his point is that in order for the church to be united and to grow, every member has to do his or her part, fulfill his or her role, contribute his or her gift. And then Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, that as each of us has received a gift, 
use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very graces in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And the implication of what Peter is saying is that our contribution to the kingdom benefits its members and glorifies God. Clearly, such passages indicate that we have a responsibility to contribute our talents, our skills, our gifts, our knowledge, our resources to the work of the kingdom. And failure to do so is condemnable. Scripture also clearly teaches that if we're not working, if we're not contributing, if we're not allowing ourselves to be used, then we are endangering ourselves spiritually. And two passages come to mind. The first is the parable of the talents. When that one talent servant is, is, is called before his master, that one talent servant who refused to use his talent for the master's benefit, that one talent servant who instead of going out and utilizing that resource, hid it and buried it so that he could give it back, that one talent servant appears before his master. He's called wicked, lazy, And you know what happens to him? He's cast out. Just like that Similac. And then I think about Jesus' message to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. This is a church who, in Jesus' own words, says, I am rich. I have need of nothing. I have prospered. It's a church that is completely self-sufficient. It's a church that has taken the mindset that we don't need anybody else. We don't have to do anything. We're good just the way we are. And Jesus said, you're lukewarm. And because you're not hot, or even cold for that matter, i got to spit you out. Just like that Simelech. You see, when you journey through Scripture and you come across these instances of people who say, I'm not going to contribute, the consequence is expulsion. Because being a member of one another means that you contribute for the benefit of one another. See, this morning as we close out this study, I want us all, including myself, to understand that there's some responsibility that comes with being members of one another. It means that I'm required to build relationships with you and you're required to build relationships with me. That we're to build relationships with one another. And no, I haven't always been great at that. And neither have some of you. Let's get better. Let's be connected like the Bible calls us to be. And biblical membership means that I'm required to contribute what, what I have for the benefit of the body. 
you know, I may not have always been great at that. And you might not have either. But let's get better at it. Let's contribute whatever we've got for the glory of God, for the, expans- for the expansion of his kingdom. Let's make that a priority. So I want to close not with some neat, meaningful illustration. I want to pose with a very probing question today. I want you to really consider this question. If everyone at this congregation practiced membership like you, would this congregation grow or would this congregation die? If everyone here practiced membership the way that you practice membership, what would this congregation look like? Would it thrive or would it die? Because if I look at myself and I realize that the way I practice membership, if it's practiced by everybody else here and it doesn't equate to thriving, then I need to change. And I need to help others do the same. This morning, if you realize that you're you're not fulfilling the requirements of biblical membership as a member of the body of Christ, then we encourage you to, to make the change, to repent of that, and to start practicing biblical membership. But it may be that you're here today and you haven't become a member of the body yet. Well, let me just say this. We'd love to have you. And if you'll confess that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God and repent of your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins, you will be added to the body. And we can't wait for anyone and everyone to make that decision because there's always room for our body to grow. And we rejoice anytime someone makes the decision to have their sins washed away. If you need to be added to the body today, then we invite you to come right now as together we stand and sing this song. I am